Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us this week. Amen. <laughs> My wife and I have been watching this uh, TV show called SEAL Team, and it's, it's pretty cool. Anybody into like military shows or like sometimes war movies, just like epic, everything about it is just kind of epic. We've been watching this show called SEAL Team, and I know so much about being a Navy SEAL now, I'm telling you. <laughs> They got this thing. Let me tell you some things that I know about being a Navy SEAL. They got this thing at the base called, I, called, uh, I gotta look at it because I forget it, ISR or Overwatch, okay? So the guys at the base are like, they got drones up in the sky and they got people like watching and the Navy SEALs are going into the mission. There's already a drone up in place, like, I don't know, undercover, you know, so the enemy can't shoot that thing down. But the people at the base are able to watch the mission actually take place. On, on the ground. So the Navy SEALs on the ground have, they're in contact with the base and the base is like giving them little directions. The base is like cheering them on when something, you know, is happening. The base is actually able to see when there's an enemy coming in um, and kind of give a heads up like, oh, go this way. And something about that sort of struck me as I was thinking about the great cloud of witnesses in the Bible. We actually have a great cloud of witnesses in heaven. Men and women of faith from of old Angels, I believe, are watching, but they're actually cheering you on. Can you hear the great cloud of witnesses this morning? (sighs) And they're saying, go, go, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, because they have an oversight, and they can see more of the picture than we can see with just our limited vision down here. So I encourage you, man, don't give up on what God's put in your heart. Don't stop now in, in the places where you might have felt stuck last year. God's going to bring us through some stuff, um, and you're going to fulfill your purpose. All right, into the message. To the title of today's message is a John the Baptist generation. John the Baptist generation. So if you're taking notes, that is the title. John the Baptist generation. If you have a Bible or you have a phone app that can get a Bible, I just encourage you to grab that. We're going to be in the book of Matthew chapter 11 to start this off. Matthew chapter 11. And as you're turning there, um, and I'm warning you, I don't know if this is going to be on the screen. So really, if you've got a Bible, pull it out, pull out a phone just so you can go there. As you're turning there, I just want to set this up a little bit. We're looking at the life of John the Baptist. The title this morning is A John the Baptist Generation. And I want to look just a little bit at the life and ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. He was just a little bit older than, than Jesus, born a few months prior. And he was a forerunner who was preparing the way for Christ. Where's my cousin Evan this morning? There he is. Okay, this would be like if I was John the Baptist, my sole purpose on this planet would have been to make people's hearts ready to receive Evan, my cousin, okay? <laughs> like I'm preparing the way so that people are ready and willing to, to, to accept Evan into their, into their heart, into their life, right? Although, obviously, this example, I'm not John the Baptist, and Jesus, I mean, Evan isn't Jesus, although I think you look kind of like him. <laughs> but you get the picture. John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus, His primary purpose in life was actually to get people ready to receive Christ. This was the life of John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11. 
starting in verse two. And I'm actually reading from the NLT translation. And I love this translation. At times, it just comes to life. Um, so I know mine's gonna read differently than some of yours, but here we go. Picture this, Matthew 11, verse two. John the Baptist, who was now in prison, heard about all the miracles the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the one we are waiting for? Or shall we keep on looking? Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him about the miracles you've seen me do, the blind people I've healed, and the lame people now walking without help, and the cured lepers, and the deaf who hear, and the dead raised to life, and tell him about my preaching the good news to the poor. Then give him this message, blessed are those who don't doubt me. Verse seven, when John's disciples had gone, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. Get this. Jesus says, when you went out into the barren wilderness to see John, what did you expect him to be like? Did you expect him to be like grass blowing in the wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed as a prince in a palace? Or were you expecting to see a prophet of God? Yes, and he is more than just a prophet. For John is the man mentioned in the scriptures, a messenger to precede me, to announce my coming, and prepare people to receive me. Pause there. In verse seven, Jesus asks three really interesting questions. He asks, when you went to see John the Baptist, whose ministry was in the wilderness, he says, did you go out to see a reed blowing in the wind? Question number one. Did you go out to see a prince in a palace? Question number two. Or did you go out to see a prophet of God? And Jesus tells us, yes, you went out to see a prophet. These are three really interesting questions. A reed, a prince, or a prophet? A reed, what's a reed? A reed is a tall, slender-leaved plant of the grass family. That's nice. I, I know physically you might think, like, I'm, I'm a little bit reed-like. <laughs> but... <laughs> I didn't plan that one. That was nice. <laughs> Not sure my way out. A reed is easily blown by every wind that comes its way. Every wind of doctrine, every new worldview, it's moved and bent under the wind and the currents of culture. And it lacks conviction to stand straight. And Jesus is saying, you didn't go to see a reed. You didn't go to see someone who in his spirit and in his life is like a reed. This is not John the Baptist. So John was not a reed. The second question Jesus asked was really interesting. Did you go to see a prince in a palace? It's a much different picture than a reed. What's a prince in a palace like? Somebody who's dressed really nicely, clean, good looking, one who is served rather than serves others in, in many cases. Prince in a palace possesses lots of material goods, luxury. A prince is probably much more concerned about keeping an attractive outward appearance. But what did Jesus say? Did you go to see a prince in a palace when you went to see John? No. John was not like a prince in a palace, nor was he concerned with the things that a prince would be concerned with. And Jesus' final question, but did you go to see a prophet? What's a prophet? A prophet is someone who cares more what God says 
than what man says. A prophet is someone who cares more what God thinks than what man thinks. A prophet is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, not just in the church, but a voice of one crying out in the dark areas of culture and society. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Prepare the way. Prepare your hearts. Repent and ready your lives for his return. This is John. This is John the Baptist. John was a man of little regard for the opinions of other people. He was a man of the wilderness who ministered in the wilderness off of the beaten path. If you were going to see John the Baptist, it's not because it was on your way to work. You don't casually like, oh, I'll be passing through that way on my way to grab lunch today. I'll just swing by and see John. If you're going to see John the Baptist, you're going because your intent for that day is to go see John the Baptist. It wasn't convenient. He ministered in the wilderness. John was not an attractive person. He ate locusts and wild honey. That was his food. He wore woven camel's hair clothing. So seemingly, he probably wasn't that attractive of a person, not like a prince. And John spoke a true message of repentance. Get this, John's message, and remember what his primary purpose was, to prepare people to receive Jesus the Messiah. John's primary message was a message of repentance. Turn from this and turn towards Christ. So to prepare the way for Jesus is to repent. If you look at Matthew chapter three, and I, I won't make you turn there if you don't want to, but Matthew three, verse three, and verses five and six, this is speaking of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, this is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Verse five, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Spiritual takeaway, repentance was and is the predecessor for the move of God. Repentance was and is the predecessor for the move of God in your personal life and what we will see in the coming harvest in the world. It's living a life of repentance, turning from and turning to. And it's speaking with conviction like John did, a message of repentance, unafraid of the opinions of man and more concerned with the opinion of God who you and I will stand before one day alone to give account for your life. Who, who should you fear? <laughs> who cares what I think about you? Who cares what someone else thinks about you? Repentance was and is the predecessor, the predecessor for a move of God, and it prepares people for the return of Christ. So I'm telling you this morning, the current and coming move of God that we're in and that is coming is not going to be a revival of the reeds. It will not be a revival of the reeds. Those who wishy-wash according to culture and what man tells you to believe, we will miss, if we live that way, we will miss our opportunity to take part in what God has for us. The excitement and the thrill 
of a move of God and participating in the harvest, seeing people turn to Christ. It will not be a revival of the reeds. It also will not be a revival of princes. Those more concerned with outward appearance, those more concerned with comfort, those more concerned with material things, will not experience all that God has prepared for us. But this revival, I tell you, is and will be a revival of prophets. And to boil that down really, really small, I know some of you are saying like, well, I'm not a prophet, so this doesn't count. This has nothing to do with me. I challenge you. The simple words of Jesus. My sheep know me, and they hear my voice. This revival will be a revival of those who tune themselves to the heart and the voice of God. Step one. And step two, who then declare in wilderness places what God is saying. A prophetic person or a prophetic voice is simply a person who hears the voice of God and boldly declares what God is saying. You hear and can know in greater measure the voice of the Holy Spirit. Are you a Christian? Give me a yes or no. Are you a Christian? Does the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead live inside of you? Does the Holy Spirit change from age to age? Did the Holy Spirit speak back then? Does the Holy Spirit speak now? (laughs) Should I keep going? (laughs) He He speaks to you so much. I think of our struggle with this concept, you guys, is the tuning our hearts to hear him, tuning our minds to recognize him. This will be a revival of prophets or a revival of the prophetic voice, those day-to-day believers who hear the voice of God and speak forth what God's saying and doing. Some of us, we've watched through the years people like Billy Graham, or we know stories of like Catherine Kuhlman, John Wesley, Reinhard Bonnke, Mother Teresa, these kind of like, they look like superhero Christian evangelist apostle people, right? But I'm convinced that this revival isn't going to be a revival of special, specific voices on TBN or God TV or televangelists or crusades, although that will be a part of it. But it's going to be the body of Christ recognizing more and more day by day, I hear you, Lord, speaking, and I can move according to your word. This will be the revival. Simple, basic Christians hearing God's voice and speaking forth what he says. First Peter 4.11 says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. That's powerful. You can hear God's voice. God wants to speak to you. Take a deep breath real quick. I want to flip this a little bit now. The predecessor of Jesus is the John the Baptist message and anointing. But I believe the predecessor to you and me 
rising even more to be that strong voice of conviction in the world is actually the John the disciple anointing. There's a precursor to you and me taking our place in the harvest like John the Baptist, and it's this. Before a John the Baptist message will be released into the earth in its fullness, a John the disciple heart must be fully received by the bride of Christ. Before a John the Baptist message will be released in its fullness into the earth, a John the disciple heart must be fully received by the bride of Christ. What does that mean? Some of you are catching this. What does that mean? John the disciple in his account of the gospel, the book of John, I believe it six times calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I know we kind of make fun and poke fun of John for doing that. But this matters. John, the disciple, knew how deeply he was loved by Christ. This is the precursor to you becoming a stronger voice of conviction, a stronger voice of truth, not like a reed, not like a prince, but like a prophet. And I believe God actually wants to do this in his church. John 13, 23, John, one of Jesus' disciples whom Jesus loved, was reclining against Jesus' chest. You have access to Christ, not just in a, in a kneel, laid, prostrate before you kind of way, which we do because of his holiness. And not just in a, I praise you, Jesus, because you're worthy kind of way, but in a, you can come Lean back onto Jesus' chest. Be so close to his heart, like a friend. Hear his voice, like a friend. This is a relationship of John. And I believe that a cry must arise from the body of Christ in the secret place that says and that knows deep in our hearts, I am your beloved. I am the disciple whom you love. Do you think that way about yourself in your relationship with Jesus? I'm the one you love. I have so much more to grow in this, you guys. But you feel that way in your relationship with Christ. Wow, I am the one you love, Jesus. This is the heart that I believe God wants to instill inside of us. The thing about receiving this heart is, we can't know this love unless we continually and consistently place ourselves in opportunity to receive it. It's the only way. Your time is so precious, I know. My time feels so precious some days. But we need God to tune our hearts and retune our hearts, retune our desires to the place that we're consistently giving him thought, we're consistently giving him our heart, we're consistently giving him even extended times. <laughs> I will say, I think there's a bit of like a trend and there's actually kind of been a subtle, if I could call it rebellion against like consistent daily time of prayer or worship with God. And I see it on social media, kind of this like, like, oh, it doesn't have to be like so strict, that's very legalistic. 
you can just talk to God anytime you want to during the day. And, and he wants to have a relationship with you at all times. And I think that's beautiful. And I think there's a truth to that. But I do think the pushback against a consistent pulling away to be alone with God in the secret place is a sad, sad mistake. And I think I even believed it for a little bit. And I pray that as you hear me say that, it's not a word of condemnation, but it's a word of invitation from the Lord saying, yes, let me into every part of your life, your day-to-day activities. Let me drive around with you in your car. Let me speak to you when you're at work. Let me um, speak to you at lunch. Yes, we need that. But if we're using that as a substitute or an excuse to say, I don't need time in the secret place with God, just me and him, no distraction, I think we're doing ourselves and doing other people a disservice. (sighs) Christ wants to love you. His love is the only answer. And you and I have to become obsessed, maybe for the first time and maybe again, with being alone with God. And I know this means sacrifice, and I know it means like readjusting things and priorities, and I know it means readjusting schedule. But I would rather look back on my life and say, I did it right, I know I did it right, than always wonder, I could have given you more, God. Could have given you more. Christ wants to give you a John the disciple heart. And the more we set ourselves up like a landing strip to say, Holy Spirit, here I am. What are you saying? Speak to me. The more often you do that, I guarantee you, the more convinced you'll be of Christ's great love for you. I guarantee. Okay, brush off any feelings of condemnation because I am not carrying that or releasing that upon you. I pray that this is coming as encouragement and as invitation. I know this is a bit of a strong word. It can feel like it, but I think it feels strong because a lot of us in our heart know like this is very true. (laughs) But the truth always sets us free. We're going to take a few minutes, you guys, and we're actually just going to say, Lord, I am your beloved. I am the disciple that you love. Lavish your love on me. Speak to me. It's going to be John the disciple heart that fuels the John the Baptist message. We hope this message encouraged you today. For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services, either 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week.